Good afternoon once again. Welcome. Last week, we started a new study in uh, the book of Philippians and Paul's letter to the Philippians. And one of the things that we noted about the letter is the friendship that Paul had uh, with the Philippian church. It was unique, actually, among the churches. Um, and this morning, we're going to be looking at, or uh, I almost got it, I almost did it. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's thanksgiving and prayer for the Philippians in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to 11. And we're going to see that his, his uh, affection and love for the Philippians kind of poured out in this prayer, his thanksgiving for them uh, and his friendship with them. So with that, let's turn to the, turn to the text, Philippians chapter 1. We're looking at uh, verses 3 to 11. It's printed there for you in your bulletins or on the screens, or you can turn there in your Bibles. Uh, but this is God's Word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that you love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this word and for Paul's heart. And Lord, may we have hearts like Paul in the way we love one another uh, and pray for one another. Uh, help me as your servant to proclaim your word this afternoon. Help me to be faithful and may Christ be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you all, those of you who've been around, I guess I should say, know uh, I love boats. And I've been around boats a long time. And one of the things that I love about boats is knots. If anyone is a sailor, they just, it's part, it's part of it. You like to do knots and work with rope or line, as we like to say. Um, and one thing that happens to, to, to ropes, to line, is that sometimes it gets frayed and it, it'll even break. But you can fix it. You can take the rope and you can uh, weave it back together. And this is called splicing. You'll splice a section back together um, and it'll be just like new, it'll be strong. Um, and you, there's different ways to splice depending on the type of rope, uh, but it fix uh, those fraying ends. So many things cause our relationships to fray within the body. It just happens over time. It could be distance. You know, over COVID, we've spent quite a bit of time apart and relationships can start to pull apart and fray over time. Differences, maybe just based on our time away, we grow in our differences, and that can pull and tear and cause fraying to happen. 
um, distrust can ensue and cause fraying. At the end of the day, it causes disunity. And I do think that COVID has exacerbated these things. You see, it is the goal of the evil one to break the unity of the church. There's nothing he desires more than to divide the body of Christ. Now, I want to make a caveat. In one sense, the body of Christ is united. It is bound together for eternity. We will be one in glory, no matter what happens this side of glory. We have that, we have that hope uh, that even when things do break down relationally within the church, we will be one, ultimately. We are one now, spiritually. That, that's just a caveat. Um, yet, that ultimate oneness notwithstanding, this unity can, presently, in this time, and I'm not saying here at CCPC it is happening, by the way, I'm just saying it happens, this unity can crop up in any church. In the Philippian church, it was a healthy church. It was a very healthy church. Paul gave tons of praise to church. And yet, even in Philippi, there was inklings of fraying going on. He will later on talk to two women in particular about getting along because there was disunity between those two women. And as I said, I'm not suggesting there's division here just that it, it is part and parcel to the world we live in, that, that, that there is a fracturing that's happening across our nation and globe. And I think that there is one specific tool given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ that can help us to, if you will, start to weave or splice or bind back together. Uh, and that is prayer prayer. And this afternoon, that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, prayer for one another. I want to look at Paul's prayer to the Philippians as a model and how we might pray for one another and how that might bind us together, building up our love and our joy and our thanksgiving for one another. The exhortation to you this morning is that you would pray with thanksgiving and full of joy for one another. In doing that, that's how we bind ourselves to one another. Okay, that's, that's my hope. And I'm going to look at it in three parts uh, this afternoon. First, uh, pray with joyful thanksgiving to God for one another. That's the basic thing I want us to, to hear. Second, pray with genuine affection and compassion for one another. With genuine affection and compassion for one another. And finally, pray for the spiritual well-being of one another. Pray for the spiritual well-being of one another. So first, pray with joyful thanksgiving to God for one another. Uh, this is uh, Paul's example here. You'll notice at the very beginning of our text, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. It's this over-the-top Every time the Apostle Paul thinks to pray for the Philippian church, he gives thanks to God for them, and he is full of joy in them. Every time, every time 
Somebody from the Philippian church comes to his mind. He is praising God and giving thanks to this church with all affection. The impetus, as I mentioned last week, for Paul's letter was a gift that he had received. He had received a gift through uh, one of uh, the, the folks there. Uh, they sent this man, Epaphroditus, who risked his life to come to the Philippian church to give a gift for Paul because Paul was in, uh, 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 we assume, in Rome in uh, prison. And so they, they sent him a gift. That was the, the impetus for his thanksgiving. But Paul isn't simply thankful for the gift. He's saying, every time that I think about you, not just because of this gift, but at all moments that I'm thinking and praying for you, I'm giving thanks to God. In a minute, we'll look at the particular reasons for Paul's thanksgiving for them. He has very specific reasons for for giving thanks for them. But I just want us to reflect for a minute on the idea of thanksgiving to God for one another, thanking God for each other. I don't know that we, maybe sometimes we do this. Something good happens that someone does for us and we're just thankful to God for so-and-so. But is this a, a common practice that we have, that we thank God for one another? I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think it's very easy for us to complain about things, right? It's just, it's easy. It's easy for us to complain about one another. And not, not, not just people here, but in general, it's easy for us to complain about people. Um, why? Well, because people do annoying things. <laughs> I do annoying things. You do annoying th- We bother one another. Uh, in our households, this happens all the time, right? Um, I-, I see my son poking my daughter right now, <laughs> right? This is who we are as humans. We-, we-, we struggle because of the fall to get along with one another. And There are things that people do, attitudes that people have, personality quirks, things that annoy us that someone does. And our mind always jumps to those things first when we think of people. It's like, oh yeah, I like them, but, right? Um, Some people we really struggle with. I don't get those people at all. I don't understand why they do what they do. They are so frustrating to me. And, and again, I'm going back to this because I feel like one of the, one of the reasons I came to, to, to look at Philippians at this time was because of this past year, and I can't help, it's the thing that I'm steeped in, but I do think COVID has particularly exacerbated this issue. Um, it has drawn this frustration we have out with one another. Um, as you know, you know, there's, you know, questions about masks, there's questions about vaccines, and we find ourselves at odds with one another. I mean, there's so many things to get frustrated with one another about. We're really quick to pass judgment on one another. We're really good at impugning motives to one another, assuming the worst of one another, being judgmental towards one another. I do it. How in the world could so-and-so think X? They must think X because of Y. I haven't even asked. I haven't even entered into the conversation. Going back to my illustration at the beginning, boats will sometimes break free of their moorings. And when you go to look at why this happened, I've had this happen, um, you'll look at the end and the the rope will be split and you're thinking, here's a a half inch rope or or three quarter inch rope and you're how did it ever come to that place where it just broke, right? And the boat floated free and ended up on the rocks somewhere down the coast. How did that happen? 
Often the answer is on the bow of the boat where there's a sharp edge or a piece of metal or something that stuck out and over time as the boat was on the mooring, it rubbed and it rubbed and it rubbed and it rubbed and over time it frayed and it frayed to the point where there wasn't much holding that thing, that, that rope together and it just split. You get what I'm saying, right? Over time, these little frustrations, these niggling things that we have with one another start to fray and eventually break down the sinews, the connections between us till they break. I doubt there's a person here that hasn't felt the pain of a broken relationship, whatever the context is. It doesn't happen right away. It happens over time. Well, I believe that we start to repair the fraying when we start by giving thanks for the people around us, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ here as we are one body, as we come together? Are we spending time filling our hearts and our minds with things that we're thankful for about that person? Thanking God for who they are, even if we have differences of opinion and some frustration. Are we, are we building those, those bond, bonds together? Paul gives us his reason why he is thankful for the Philippian church. He says he is thankful for their partnership, specifically in the gospel. Uh, He says here, I thank my God always in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer, etc. But he goes on, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, there's two ways we can think about this. We can think about this in terms of partnership in the gospel, meaning they're sharing together in the good news. They are participators in Christ. They are in one with Christ and therefore one with another, one with each other. They enjoy that fellowship and bond because of the, the very good news that binds us together for all eternity. So there's one sense in which we can think about that unity in the gospel, Um, But there's another sense, and Paul will actually bring this idea out at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, where he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from the love of God, any participation in the Spirit, saying, if you have all that that oneness in the gospel, then, and he goes on and exhorts them. But there's another sense in which this partnership is about their evangelistic work together. They're going out and proclaiming the good news together, whether physically together or when they were together or whether they're doing it in their various places uh, in Philippi and in Rome or wherever they are, but they're going out, in, in a sense, hand in hand in the same task of proclaiming the good news. He says, from this day until now, you've been doing this. It's an interesting thing to think about what binds us together. Not only our common faith that I said just a minute ago, not just our union with Christ because of the work of Christ, not just that, not only our common faith, but also our common work. Now, I'm emphasizing how prayer binds us together, but it, it, it shouldn't be missed here. Our common work in promoting the gospel, that is, 
our going together out or whether we're praying for one another as we go out into our various spheres or we're praying for the lost, we're bringing those people that are in our lives that we say, please pray for so-and-so that they would come to know the Lord Jesus. I'm going to have a conversation with them tomorrow. That common work as we go about proclaiming the good news, giving a defense of the gospel, uh, we are working together and it knits us. It binds us. When we're not engaged in that labor of going and proclaiming the gospel, when we're not engaged in that sort of evangelistic work as a church, I think we're getting pulled in a lot of directions. And I don't think that necessarily we're as bonded as we could be. It's a rallying place to come together and work to proclaim the good news to the lost. There's another way in which the Philippians are partners. They're partners in their mutual support and encouragement. Notice here, again, I've said this, the impetus for the letter here is the gift that that the Apostle Paul had received in Rome. Um, And so when he says, you know, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure he began a good work and you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. Um, here he's talking about uh, their mutual support. He's saying, our partnership together, you've given me this gift, and we are at work together. I'm going to send to you Timothy. This is our good work together. And so I just want to ask, how are we as a church engaged in the support of one another? How are we encouraging one another? How are we coming alongside one another? Final thing with regard to Paul's thankfulness and joy in this partnership is that he is joyfully thankful in the hope of glory. Part of the joy and thanksgiving in one another is the reality that we're going to be together, one, perfected, without conflict, without fraying ends. We're going to be one, perfected, Uh, And we're going to be presented complete. Uh, Look at this here. It says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here, Paul is kind of giving an aside as he reflects on the past-present partnership. He's saying, you know, I'm thankful for all that we've done from now, our partnership in the gospel from before, from the time that I came to you in Philippi, till this day as you come to me and give me a gift, and I look forward to the completion of it all when, when we are gathered together before the throne of Christ, complete at the day of the Lord. See that past, present, future, that togetherness that we have. He thinks, wow, I'm so thankful to you, Philippian church, that we are partners together from the past to the future and all eternity. I just want to encourage you, friends, believers, we are bound together for glory. We can give thanks to God for that with all joy. That gives me such joy to know that I am bound with you all for eternity.
We can give thanks with joy for one another as those united together in Christ, working together for the gospel, encouraging and helping one another on the way to glory, giving joyful thanks for one another in prayer that knits us together. But secondly, we are called to pray with genuine affection and compassion for one another. Paul's genuine love and affection in this passage pours out. I think I said that last time, kind of drips uh, from this page. Notice that he says here, he says something that Presbyterians get a little anxious about. He says, it is right for me to feel, (laughs) to feel this way about you all. Feels what way? Well, he just said, he's joyful with thanksgiving for them. He, he feels this, this love and affection for them. Now, Paul isn't shy like us Presbyterians about sharing his affections here. He's not shy about it. He goes on to say that he holds them in his heart. They're, they're bound up in his heart, his love for them. He even makes a vow. God is my witness. This is how I feel about you. It's like, no one knows his heart except God, so he makes this vow. As God is my, this oath, I should say, God is my witness. And why? Why is this the case? Well, because they are together partakers of grace. That's what the text says. Now, there is a lot of participation and partnership language throughout this thanksgiving and prayer section, really throughout the whole book of Philippians. This is much of the theme of the book of Philippians. It's about them together, uh, coming together. He'll, he'll talk about all of them. I think I mentioned last week how that language of all throughout Philippians is often, he's often saying, there isn't one of you that's left out. We're together participating. Um, and we see this here again. Paul is going out of his way to emphasize what unites them. And here he is saying it is grace. Grace unites us. Grace is what unites them in mutual affection. And isn't that so with us? Grace. And what is grace? Grace is, of course, God's unmerited favor towards us. It's his love towards us in the gospel that while we were yet sinners, he loved us and died for us. That's grace. We didn't deserve it, and yet he poured it out on us. And what does that do for us as we think about one another, as we think about giving thanks to God for one another? What does it do? It sets us at a sort of a level playing field, doesn't it? It said, not one of us's faith is greater than another. It's all by gift, right? There's nothing that, that we have that, that, that is somehow inherent to us in our goodness. No, it's all a gift of God's grace to us. And that enables us to look at one another and say, in their brokenness, I could, that, I could see why. I could, do, I could be that, but, but for the grace of God, there go I. It brings us into humility, doesn't it? It means that we can bear with one another in their weakness and sin. We can bear with one another. There's things that irk us about one another. We can bear with it because we know in our own hearts that we irk and annoy others. Worse than that, we sin against each other. It gives us sympathy and compassion. But Paul isn't just speaking of our common salvation by grace when he says we are 
uh, partakers of grace. He's also saying, we are partaker, you are partakers of, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What he's saying is, we share together the grace of suffering. Isn't that interesting? We share together the grace of suffering for the gospel. What are you saying for, wait a minute, how is suffering a gracious thing? Well, this is a whole theology here. But in our suffering, we, like Christ, follow him. We suffer for the sake of the gospel, not because of our sin, obviously, but because of the gospel. And in that suffering, God is shaping us and transforming us and renewing us and driving us to himself. So there's grace in that. But what's most remarkable about this is that we share in it. Paul is stuck in Rome. He's in chains. And what does the Philippian church do? They grieve and cry out and send gifts on Paul's behalf. Why? Because they're sharing with him in his suffering. We're called to bear one another's griefs, just as Christ did us. Bear with one another as we go through trials. Paul will talk about when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And this can't help but give us great affection for one another. You've experienced this when you've come alongside somebody who's in grief and you've hugged them and you've cared for them and you've stood by them in their grief. You grow in your love for them. You can't help it. And so it is. Here for the Apostle Paul in the Philippians church. Suffering, particularly for the gospel, gives us love and affection for one another. And then Paul comes back to this idea of his partnership in the gospel. Before he mentioned that uh, he was thankful for it with joy, now he says that he holds them in his heart. Notice the words here. He says, comes back to this idea of participation. He says, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Not only do you come alongside me in my suffering, in that sense, but you also come alongside me in my work. And because of that, there's great affection we, that builds a bond of love. That's, that's the nature of working alongside somebody. If you've ever done this, you've worked with somebody on some difficult task, and it's taken a long time, and there's caused great suffering or trial. When you come out the other side, what happens to that team of people? You're, <laughs> you're bound together, knit together, affection for one another. As we lift one another up in prayer and we consider our union in the gospel, as we consider how we suffer with those who suffer, and as we enjoy partnership with them in the work of Christ, it transforms us and changes us. It moves us to compassion and love, even though there may be real differences among us. I don't want to dismiss that. But what I would say is that that commonality in the gospel 
overshadows, overwhelms, swallows up the differences that we have. And we start to love one another with affection, giving thanks to God for one another in the gospel. So that here in verse 8, Paul makes this oath. For God is my witness. God knows my heart. He knows how much I yearn for you, to be with you. You know, here's Paul. He's in Rome, 800 miles away, in chains. And he loves the Philippian church, and he longs to be with them. But he doesn't just yearn for them in terms of the absence but he's concerned for them. He yearns for them. He cares for them. And he says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here, the word is compassion. It's the word for the the bowels. Uh, It's the word for that gut feeling that we have when we see someone suffer, when we have such deep love and concern for someone that we are physically overwhelmed by it. It's the word that Christ used when he talks about his compassion for those who are suffering and lost. It drove him to the cross. Prayer with joyful thanksgiving to God for one another. Prayer with genuine affection and compassion for one another as partakers of God's free grace in Christ together. Finally, we're to pray for the spiritual well-being of one another. Here we have Paul's prayer for them. Up to this point, he's been describing how, when, and why he prays, um, and he's giving thanks to God with joy for them. But now we have a prayer that I believe is a model for us as we consider what it means to pray for one another. Now, there are lots of ways we can pray for one another. This isn't the only thing. This isn't it. But it is a model for us. You know, sometimes we might pray for the physical well-being of each other. I think that's important. We might pray against sin and temptation. That's an area of prayer that Paul isn't directly addressing, though a little bit. Uh, We can pray for encouragement and faith and so many things. But here I want us to see the heart of Paul's desire for the Philippians church in this prayer. And at the heart of it is that love, their love, would overflow, that it would abound more and more. He says in verse um, 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. What a great prayer. Isn't that something we all need? As we look at the world and it is bent on fighting, on pronouncing differences, on highlighting how we're all separate, how we have our distinct things. And here he's saying, I think what we need more is love. More and more. CCPC, I want to encourage you as your pastor. I have seen such deep love overflowing at CCPC. And I have to say, it's the cause of great joy for me as your pastor it causes me to give thanks to God in Christ for you all, because I see it. I see how you rally to help and to serve one another, how you do indeed encourage one another, how you constantly pray for one another. 
And this is actually the heart of love. It is that active self-sacrificing service that is preeminently seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come to that in chapter 2 when we look at Christ in particular and his service to us. I see this in the life of CCPC. It causes me to rejoice and give thanks. And yet I worry that the pressures of the world can come and fray the bonds. Let's pray for love, that it would abound more and more and more and more and more. Let us pray for that, and that this love would be marked by knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. The thing is, we love best when we know Christ best. We love best when we understand who it is that is on display in this word. When we understand God and who he is, the more we understand this, the more we're able to to love as Christ loves. And so when the Apostle Paul says, I pray that you would abound more and more, he says it in knowledge, but not just in knowledge, but in discernment, wisdom. You know, it... If there is, you know, certain proclivity towards sin in various denominational or types of churches, I think the Reformed Church, it loves knowledge. It loves to know. Uh, We are often criticized for being overly weighted towards knowing. Um, But knowledge without discernment is useless, right? We're called to be wise, to take what We are given in terms of revelation and to take the the wisdom of God and apply it into each and every circumstance of our life. And that's, that's how we love. That's how love abounds more and more and more and more. As we take the word of God, the, the, the love of Christ on display in his word, and we act it out in the world. And what's the goal? The goal is to approve what is excellent, and to be presented as blameless. In other words, as the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, we, we're on a journey. And that journey is we are being transformed. We are growing. We are changing. We are going from one degree of glory to another until that day that with unveiled faces we shall behold the glory of God and we will be transformed presented blameless before our God. But we start today. We start now. We start on our knees in prayer. Pray for one another to that end, that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, that we would be filled with love and joy and peace and patience that we'd be filled with kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that this would be who we were, who we are, love abounding, love overflowing for one another. How is this possible? How is this possible? Well, it comes through Jesus Christ, and this is the good news. We are praying this prayer Because in praying, when we get on our knees, we are recognizing our inability to change ourselves. 
we're recognizing our weakness and love and our, and our challenges we have with one another and the, the broken nature of our relationships. And so we get on our knees and we thank God that he is the one that is at work transforming us, changing us from one degree of, uh, to another of glory. And we are praying that for our brothers and sisters. And we go to our knees because it is only Christ who is able to transform us and make us new through Christ Jesus the one who perfectly loved, the one who is full of wisdom, who has all knowledge, who is the eternal word, and one who is full of the fruit of righteousness, who is perfect in every way. Our hope is in Christ. And what is our aim ultimately in all of this? Paul tells us, to the glory of and praise of God. You know, as we recognize that our ultimate aim isn't to glorify ourselves, when we start to think about our ultimate aim being to bring glory to God, all of a sudden those irksome things about one another start to fade away. Because what we see is, here's another broken sinner like me who needs Jesus. And I want to see God glorified, so I'm going to get on my knees and thank God for this one and pray for their spiritual growth to the glory of God. It humbles us. It changes us. Friends, let us pray with thanksgiving and joy for one another, with all affection as partakers of the grace of the Lord Jesus, who will present us perfect on that day. But until that day comes... Let us pray, and let us love, and let us build back that, that bond that is eternal by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through the grace of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.